It's go time. Welcome to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon along with Heath Graham and Pat Mooney. I want to thank all the people that sent in the cards and letters uh, wishing me to get well, although one person said that I never have sounded better on the podcast than I did on the last one. Uh, I hope that was my content, not my voice. We have a ton to talk about again. You would think there's an off-season to the Canadian Football League, but that's just a misnomer. There is none to speak of. First, let's go to the Sunshine Coast, the Lions. Not only do they re-sign their entire coaching staff, but they make some big extensions. Yes, they have. uh, Co-general manager, head coach Rick Campbell, and the other co-general manager, Neil McAvoy have signed contract extensions through 2024, so at least two more seasons with those guys running the show. And a question came up earlier today as well regarding Nathan Rourke and his potential NFL situation, and would they be comfortable having Vernon Adams as the number one quarterback going into camp? And it was a resounding yes by the BC Lions organization. These are great hirings as they give the organization some stability moving forward. We've talked about the importance of that stability, particularly when things seem to be on an uprise and BC got to the Western Final and, and they're, they're an up-and-coming team. They've shown definite improvement over the last years and I think this is a reward for all the coaches as well as the general manager for a job well done. It also may be, and you hope that this is the case as a harbinger for the future, that a quick fix is not always the answer, that you need to build, develop, grow. The Lions are doing that. They're taking their time with their talent pool. They're taking their time with their coaches and they're letting things mesh and gel as it were to get some results. And last year we started to see the beginnings of that. If Nathan Rourke, depending on what happens with his NFL tour, is back with the Lions, you've got to think that they're going to be a contender right off the top. Given what they showed in 2022, they would be right in the mix with the top teams in the in the West. I, If I can put my fortune teller hat on here this early in the offseason, I think Winnipeg, Calgary, and BC are right in the mix for that top spot in the West coming into the, the season ahead. And uh, absolutely, the improvements that they showed year over year from 2021 to 2022 was leaps and bounds growth. We saw the continuity with that offensive line, how much that helped. And to have all of that coaching staff and general managers back in place gives a lot of confidence to those players and the rest of the staff that this is an organization that is building and not just making changes for the sake of making change. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers have extended, of course, their head coach, Mike O'Shea. But the interesting aspect of this, and this is something that's come up on Three Down Nation, is that their president, Wade Miller, was non-committal about the future of general manager Kyle Walters. Is there anything to be read into that, given that Walters is on an expiring contract in 2023? It is strange that they did not announce at the same time as the extension of head coach Mike O'Shea that Kyle Walters was being extended the past two times they've announced those extensions together, which brings us to question this one a little bit more is why did they not do that? Mike O'Shea did sign for three years, but at some point we've speculated before that he may be interested in going somewhere where he could be head coach and GM. 
Kyle Walters continues to work hard for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They did have a couple of a couple of re-signings earlier this week. Winston Rose has signed a, a one-year extension, as has defensive lineman and longest tenured bomber Jake Thomas. So they, those will both be back in blue and gold this year. I have to speculate a little bit that it might be time to promote from within in that general manager spot. Not necessarily Mike O'Shea. I think he's pretty comfortable in that head coach position. But they also have two assistant GMs in Ted Govea and Danny McManus that have been rumored to be a front runner in some other front office jobs from time to time. And it might be an opportunity, especially for Ted Govea. He is the Canadian of the assistant GMs that spends a lot of time with Canadian talent as well, that maybe he's looking for that opportunity for a promotion coming up. It wouldn't come a surprise if there would be a change in Winnipeg. And it's not that Walters has faltered. Do you get to the point where you're just tired of seeing the same people all the time? And I think of, if you go to the NFL, Brady and the New England Patriots. Why did Brady leave New England? He had a great thing going, but he needed a new fresh start somewhere. The Blue Bombers may be seeing the same thing that Walters has done in a, a very credible job. But when it comes down to push and shove, maybe the styles don't mesh as well as they used to. These are people, these are personalities, sometimes very strong personalities involved in in these very tough negotiations when it comes to free agents, drafts. It could, over time, begin to wear on you. And we're not privy to these conversations. It could very well be that Kyle Walters has indicated that he is ready to move on after this coming season as well. There might be some opportunities either inside of football or or perhaps even outside of football that are going to be big moments in his life and milestones that he maybe wants to move on to. So we'll we'll see as the season progresses where they're at in these conversations. They're pretty non-committal at this point, but it might be that they are in the middle of a negotiation and don't want to tip their hand either. So we'll have to wait and see how this one plays out. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have finally found their offensive coordinator, and it came from within Kelly Jeffrey. Now, Kelly Jeffrey, if you're not aware, had been a coach in the U-sport circles where he had done very well with Mount Allison, taking a team that basically had done nothing for years and brought them to an undefeated season. He's paid his dues in terms of coaching to get to the professional level, The question in my mind is, what is his mindset, given that all of these other people that we've chronicled were asked and turned down the opportunity, and now the writers look down the hallway and say, well, would you do it? This has been one of the more predictable hires. Uh, I think having the head coach and GM on the hot seat in Saskatchewan has probably had a few people back off. Having said that, when he was with Mount Allison, uh, Kelly Jeffrey received many awards as as a head coach, and he also operated in the role as offensive coordinator. When he's moved into the CFL, we've seen him more in the role of special teams and now running back coach. But from all accounts and listening to Jamal Morrow talk about him prior to his signing as an OC, he spoke extremely highly of him and his football intelligence. I think he's going into this with a mindset of, I'm capable, I've got a lot to do, and I have a lot to prove. When I watched his interview, he spoke very well about not being impacted by those decisions that others made. He wanted this job, he applied for the job, he received the job, and now he's got a job to do. And if he is successful there, 
he's going to be a hot commodity for coaches if he's able to bring the riders who floundered an offense last year in part because of personnel, potentially because of a scheme that maybe didn't fit the quarterback. If he's able to bend his scheme to whichever quarterback lands in Saskatchewan, then I think he may experience success and he might be one who might continue on even if the other coaching staff do not. It's very commendable for him to take that attitude. I just don't know if it was me personally, if I'd be that thrilled that four other or five other people had been asked and said, thanks, but no thanks. And then they come to me. I'd be a little bit put out, but I'm not him and more power to him if he feels very positive about the situation. The Rough Riders, they do have a quarterback, Mason Fine. He's still under contract with that team. He was the one that finished this. And Jake Dalagala. Well, Dalagala, I'm not so sure where he's going to be because of that uh, incident off the field late in the season. It could impact whether or not the Rough Riders want him back. The problem for me in all of this is that Mason Fine seems to be the lost player in all of this. Everyone talks about well, when they get a quarterback. Well, they've got one. There's a guy that's signed, he's played, he knows the system. I think, Jeffrey, it would behoove him not to invest in Mason Fine. The one thing that I want to make clear is that Kelly Jeffrey is a very capable candidate and hopefully builds into a successful offensive coordinator. Because this search was so public, we heard about other coaches either removing themselves from candidacy or turning down offers. And unfortunately, it kind of leaves Kelly Jeffrey as the, well, he was the guy that was still available on that list. And and unfortunate for him, I think it, it takes away a bit from his accomplishments, the way this whole situation was handled. I wish him all the best. And, and we know the Rough Riders offense struggled last season and a breath of fresh air. But somebody from within that the players that are, are returning are already familiar with i wish him nothing but success and to prove the the doubters wrong and that he is a qualified and capable offensive coordinator i don't think there's a question about his skill or his ability it's just the way that this went about was kind of clumsy and i think the riders need to look in the mirror and say hey we've got to do this better if we're recruiting a we've got to keep it quiet Whomever we discuss anything with, we've got to sign a non-disclosure so that they're not going back and saying, well, I was asked and I didn't bother if I was. The the Rough Riders, the other thing they've got to look at too, and I'm, I'm sure Jeffrey's got this on his mind, is they've got their head coach and their GM on expiring contracts. Now, I think the head coach is in much more trouble than the GM is at this point in time. If you're Jeffrey, you can look at this as an opportunity that, hey, if I do well and I do well enough, maybe if that position, now I'm not saying he's thinking this way, but it's a possibility that the world could work this way, that he could become a consideration for the head coach if that position becomes available. He needs to, though, perform well under these circumstances and he's doing the right things right away. As both of you say, it would be great to see him do very well. I think if he if he does well, I think other teams are going to look at him. We see the CFL often looking into other teams to find someone who will come be a coach with their team when opportunity comes. And I also, uh, I commend Saskatchewan actually for 
identifying who is in the, the search, I think that's good for the league to be able to say, this is who we are looking at. And even if it was a little clumsy, which I agree, it absolutely was, I think that transparency is important because people are going to be speculating as to who's coming and why they're coming and what's going on. And I see another team in, in Montreal doing the same thing as they started their search for the head coaches. They, they went through and announced, here's the five candidates we're interviewing. And I think if I'm a coach, I'd sooner have it be known that I was under consideration for this move up so that other people may have my name in a conversation as it comes forward at a different point in time. If a team were to come to me and ask for a non-disclosure, uh, that, that, that also seems a little bit shaky. Well, I don't see it as shaky. I just see it as good business practice. But they don't do it. That's fine. You made mention that he hasn't been a coordinator before, but if he does well this year, he's not really going to be picked up as a lateral move. The Riders wouldn't necessarily say he can move sideways and become an offensive coordinator somewhere else. Typically, if you're an O coordinator and the team wants to retain you and somebody else comes knocking, that's got to be a step up. He's got to become a head coach somewhere. A, a counterpoint to what Pat was saying about the non-disclosure agreements. If I was a coach candidate and I was unsuccessful, I don't know how often I want that to be floated around either. It, it starts to raise the question of, well, what's wrong with this guy? He's been interviewed for five head coaching positions and he hasn't gotten one yet. It, it is a very tricky situation and there's a lot of moving parts. We're, we're going to talk later on here about Montreal's situation and they are looking at a lot of internal candidates and those to me are a bit of a different animal than when you're uh, an external candidate and maybe not always getting that opportunity from within doesn't speak as loudly as if you've interviewed externally for three or four jobs what it is that you're lacking in securing those positions. Well, let's go to Montreal. We we can talk about this. They've got defensive coordinator Noel Thorpe under consideration, offensive coordinator Anthony Calvillo, linebackers and special teams coach Byron Archambault. They've got um, assistant head coach and running backs coach Andre Bolduc and Jason Moss, who worked with GM Danny Machocha, worked with Jason Moss as his quarterback in Edmonton some 15 years ago. He's also being considered as a head coach. Now, of the troop, only Moss has had head coach experience. Does it behoove Montreal to gain from that and say, look, we need an experienced guy, or do they want to give somebody a chance? When we look at this roster, Noel Thorpe is a name that has been tossed around as a candidate in the past for head coaching positions. Anthony Calvillo has just recently returned to the CFL coaching ranks and is an interesting choice if I was hiring at this point, I would be giving a strong look at Andre, Andre Balduc. I think he's a, an up-and-coming coach and has had the assistant head coach position under his belt here already. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. One thing when you do promote from within, it might leave a bit of a bitter taste with the other three internal candidates that don't get the position. So there's a lot of fires to put out and a lot of feelings to take into consideration when you're making these decisions. Jason Moss did not have a great offensive coordinator season in Saskatchewan. It's interesting to see that he is one of the, the leading candidates for this position. And it might be the relationship with Danny Machocha, as you mentioned, that does give him that consideration. I think there's also an opportunity if Anthony Cavillo is the 
candidate that's chosen to move forward as head coach. Jason Moss would be a nice fill-in to work with that organization. He has that background familiarity with Danny Machocha and the coaches, and, and I think he might be a good fit in that position. I know in listening to Three Down Nation's podcast, they had some questions about Noel Thorpe stepping in. His name has been bandied around before, but from what they were alluding, it sounds like he's one of the coaches that either is well-liked or not liked by players, and it may result in some players choosing to move elsewhere if he's named the head coach. And this is where maybe Archambault is more of a palatable candidate because he works with everybody and he seems to be very well liked by the team that's already on the field. You can't necessarily make that your sole criteria because that is going to lead you nowhere, but it does help his cause in terms of what will happen next. We saw this with Bob Dice in Ottawa. A very deserving opportunity for him finally comes about, and the Red Blacks name him as head coach. But one of the things that probably helped him was that the locker room really had a lot of respect for him. The GM has to also consider that with all the coaches that are going to be interviewed. What level of respect will the players have for them, and, and where do they stand? And I think it's it's good to see an organization look from within, um, it will be interesting to see if Jason Moss is hired as an external candidate, how that impacts, because right away you're going to have some of the internal coaches have to look at, at doing things in a different manner, in a different way. That could be a tough hire when you have someone come from the outside who maybe isn't exactly on the same page with everyone else. And the other thing that they have to consider is that their starting quarterback, Trevor Harris, is still not signed. He may be holding out, waiting to see what happens at the head coaching position as well. Calgary Stampeders have made a slight change to their administration where they have added the role of general manager to head coach Dave Dickinson's portfolio and John Huffnagel, who is getting closer to retirement, although I doubt that he ever will. um, He is now staying on as president, but Day-to-day, you you feel the influence of Huffnagel all over that organization. He's been grooming Dave Dickinson for a long time. And the one thing that the Stampeders have done exceptionally well since John Huffnagel's been there is they have brought people from within, coached them up, and then let them flourish. What a fantastic opportunity for Dave Dickinson to assume this role with John Huffnagel staying on as president. If Huffnagel was to announce his retirement and walk away, I think it's a very challenging situation for Dave Dickinson to step in. Uh, They've had a very lengthy working relationship. They're comfortable with each other. John Huffnagel has proven to be a championship winning general manager. So to have him down the hall as the guy to learn this job from really sets Dave Dickinson up to be successful in this position. It's always tough to take on that additional responsibility, staying on as head coach and assuming the GM role. It adds a lot to their plate, but it also gives them a chance to set the roster as they see it. When we spoke earlier about both the Lions and the Bombers and trying to have that stability in the organization, I think the the model for the CFL has been John Huffnagel, and prior to that, it would have been Wally Buono in Calgary. Having that consistency over time has really paid off for that organization in that it has, with a few exceptions, had a, a long period of success where they're always in the running. Other than the Federick era, 
the Stampeders have been that model of consistency. It's it's also magnanimous in a lot of ways about what Huffnagel did because you've put so much of your time, so much of your soul into this organization and to start pulling back and letting somebody else do it, that takes a lot of courage to let go and I commend them for that. Yeah, it's always a tough decision to make. Uh, when when do you let go or when do you continue on? And and I think you're right. It, it's good that he's been building the people beneath him. I think strong organizations do that. And, and uh, good for him to step, not fully away, but to step back a little bit more and have the opportunity for some of these younger people in the organization to step up and assume more responsibility. I'm curious to see how long John Huffnagel stays on in this president role. Is he looking to stay there long enough that Dave Dickinson gets comfortable in his GM position before stepping away? Is it one season? Is it two or three? I I really doubt that it's going to be much beyond that, to be perfectly honest. As you mentioned, John Huffnagel's been around the league for a long time, getting close to that retirement age, but here's a chance to leave a lasting legacy with the Calgary Stampeders and and build that next person up to assume the role. Well, you look at Huffnagel's legacy. Two head coaches in the last five years were hired away from the Calgary organization, Devon Claybrooks in British Columbia and the Grey Cup champion, Ryan Dinwiddie. And, and I think you'll see younger coaches like Mark Mueller who turned down the OC in Saskatchewan potentially have the opportunity to move up. Maybe he steps into the offensive coordinator role and, and if Dickinson were to go to the role of GM president at some point, someone within that organization should should as well be considered to step up much like is happening in Montreal. It's that continuity and consistency that if you get that kind of investment from the top down, teams reflect that on the field. And the Stampeders are a classic example. The last 15 years, they have been a model of consistency and a model of success. The CFL has released a partial list of the negotiation list that each team has with respect to American American players. The curious one that I looked at of the names that were listed by the British Columbia Lions is that every last one of them that they released on this list is a quarterback. And for those of you who don't understand, there is no draft of American talent in the CFL. So essentially, once a player graduates in the States and becomes available, teams can add them to their own negotiation list. And I think you can have up to 50 names. Whether that player ever talks to a team is something that depends on how their career path goes. But this is how it works. So every team in the league has a list of players that are exclusive negotiation rights for them. Agents are fully aware. And if this player is interested in coming to the CFL, that's the team they talk to to get the process started. So that's what these negotiation lists are. In lieu of a draft, that's how they deal with American prospects. It is interesting to see so many quarterbacks on one team. Most of the other teams have a a variety of positional players that they have to release 10, so they're giving, here's some of the people we're taking a look at. I think it, it does a lot for those of us who follow the CFL and who follow NCAA, to be honest, and, and it creates a bit of chatter, but it's also fairly likely that we may not see many of these players listed actually come to the CFL as well. It's not the first time that a team has released a list entirely of quarterbacks. We've seen that in the in the past as well. 
And I agree 100%, Pat. It's a great opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into some of these players and and see what they bring to the table. It's it's, uh, not the same situation as a free agent. Anybody that's not on a negotiation list is free to sign with any team. But this gives these teams the first rights on some of these guys. And there are some quarterbacks from time to time that pop up on there that you recognize that have had a very successful college career in the States, but maybe don't quite fit that mold of what most NFL teams are looking for in a quarterback. And that's where these opportunities come up. We'll have to wait and see. And and I should get better at going back down these lists from time to time and see players that have come up to Canada and been successful in the CFL that came through these negotiation lists. Chad Kelly was one. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and and I, I stand to be corrected, but I thought he was on a different team's negotiation list and was actually traded to the Toronto Argonauts in a negotiation list trade. That probably was because he was interested in playing for the Argonauts. He made a a petition through his agent. The agent said, if we come to Canada, we want to play for Toronto. So then the team said, okay, we'll try to make a deal, see if we can get something in return. That may well be the case. I know one quarterback that did come up through that system and was involved as a throw-in on a trade, his negotiation rights, was Darian Durant. Years ago when Saskatchewan traded, and I forget who it was with Hamilton, I think he was thrown in as an extra, here's someone off our negotiation list. And, you know, every now and then, these guys do sit with the team and make a, a formidable impact in the CFL. The biggest news of the week was the CFL has already unveiled its 2023 season. Major changes from what we saw in 2022, in part as a response to some polls even that we did on Twitter. I, you would like to hope that the CFO was paying attention to us. Far fewer back-to-backs and Sunday games prior to the start of the NFL season are on the agenda again. I think this is a good move to have consistent game times as much as you can in, in a country as large as Canada and all the time zones that we have. If people know that there's always going to be a game on Sunday night starting locally at 7 p.m., which is going to happen for those 11 weeks prior to the NFL beginning, I think you can set aside knowing this is what I'm going to be watching on TV at this time. And I think this is also done in part to attract some of the U.S. viewers that would access the CFL in addition to those Canadians who are going to any rate. One of the most fun things for me when the CFL releases its schedule is to watch social media and see fans of every team absolutely pick the schedule apart. It seems no fan is ever happy. I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Scheduling for a nine-team league with a four-team division and a five-team division is no easy task. The schedule makers do a a great job. There's always some some holes that everybody can poke in it for this or that, but it can't be an easy thing to do. You've also got to look at some of these cities where these stadiums are being used for other events as well. You've got concert seasons in the summer. You've got MLS soccer or some other, other soccer leagues perhaps going on. A lot of things factor into when you can host home games one thing they've really done is is they've almost eliminated lengthy home stands. It seems like pretty much every team is playing home one week on the road the next. I think there are only four instances of teams hosting back-to-back home games, which is, is quite a variance from this last year. And I think that is a good thing 
for fans who may be out of the area at a certain time, particularly as we move through the summer. We know that some fans are traveling or doing things. If your team happens to be home for back-to-back games and you're not in the area, that's a good portion of the season to miss. To be fair to Trevor Hardy, who is pretty much responsible for these schedules, the 2022 schedule was very difficult for him to produce in two parts. One, it was a different methodology being applied, more east within east games, more west within west games. And the other part of the equation was we didn't know completely if we were going to have a full season again. There was still some question mark about what the health protocols were still going to be when the schedule was going to be dropped. So the CFL kind of had to make do with what they had. This time, they've had time to flesh it out. And with 21 Saturday games and 11 Sunday night games starting at 7 o'clock. Now, it doesn't address one of the concerns that we had in our poll, which was people wanted to have Sunday afternoon games. And that was not really addressed in terms of the 7 o'clock start. Now, if, if it's 7 o'clock Eastern or 4 o'clock in BC, it uh, it helps that way. But a 7 o'clock local start time isn't consistent thing because 7 o'clock in BC start time is not the same as 7 o'clock in Toronto start time. And I do think that's where it does impact viewership. If, if you're to have BC Lions play games at 7 or 8 o'clock at night and they're playing an Eastern team, people in the East are not going to necessarily stay up and watch that game. They're going to have to put it on tape and go there. And that's where scheduling in a vast geographical area like Canada becomes extremely difficult. You want fans to be seeing the game live. You want them to be engaged. But when the game starts at 10 or 11 at night, it, it, it's hard to engage with a game. It is. And that's one thing that the NFL does well in their schedule is, you know, there's primetime viewing. They've now got Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night that all start relatively consistently. They do throw the odd double header in that affects start times here and there. But generally, you know, within a, a half hour of when that primetime game is going to start and all eyeballs are on that particular game. It's a start and it's something that I believe the CFL will continue to evolve and tweak as things go on. But I, I believe that the, the best method would be to have 7 p.m. Eastern time for Sunday night kickoffs, regardless of where in the country that, that game takes place. Completely agree. I think that is a key element to all of this. It is, and especially when you take the CFL into account how far some fans travel to games, especially out west here. The Rough Riders draw from all over the province, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as well. There's a lot of people in Brandon and other spots throughout the province that have season tickets. Alberta is a big province. You've got two teams drawing there, but it's a lot of travel time as well. So if you can do your best to wrap these games up, by 9 30 10 p.m local time gives people an opportunity it's still going to be a late night but not ridiculously late and and if it's a an earlier start because it's 7 p.m eastern even better to allow people to get into a regular routine and and get their work schedule sorted out so they're not starting the week exhausted the season starts with the first regular season game between the bc lions and the calgary stampeders kind of a rematch of their battle in the playoffs last year in the semifinal in BC. Everything comes to an end with the 110th Grey Cup on November 19th at Tim Hortons Field. They're crossing their fingers that statistical weather data will come to into effect and that the average temperature of plus 7 on that date 
The other thing that's going on, the Argonauts and the Rough Riders again will play a neutral site game, and this will be, I would guess, probably back out east because it was such a huge success with Touchdown Atlantic last year. The other thing that I think is really fascinating is that at the end of the season, the final two weeks, there are only three games per weekend on the schedule, which means in the final two weeks, three teams will get a bye and another three teams will get a bye. Seven of the nine teams will have a break within three weeks of the playoffs. I think that's good for player safety and for the quality of the game, too. If you can have all the players who have some nicks and bruises have an opportunity to rest a little before playoffs, I think that should bode well for the product on the field. The other thing that, that because Randy Ambrosi spoke to it, divisional playoff games have all been moved to Saturday. And we were aware of that since the Grey Cup, and, and it wasn't a surprise, but it's going to be a change for the CFL as well. I'm looking forward to that because there is so much argument about how much of a juggernaut the NFL is. So you're taking them completely out of the equation other than Grey Cup Sunday, which has traditionally been a celebration in Canada and people watching from coast to coast, regardless of whether their team is in it or not. I I think moving the division games to the Saturday is going to allow a more consistent viewership and get more eyes on on these playoff games. Teams will get an extra day to prep for the Grey Cup. It won't matter between the semi and the final, but it will matter between the final and the Grey Cup. And that isn't a bad thing either. I still would like to see the CFL move the Grey Cup to Saturday. And part of my rationale is it gives you Sunday as a travel day to get back home. The divisional finals, the semi and the finals for each division on Saturdays is a step in the right direction. So overall, I... I'm satisfied with this schedule. The The Riders and the Blue Bombers play three times. The Argos start their home season against the Tiger Cats. Lions and Stampeders, as we mentioned, start the season. There's a lot of positive things that came out of this schedule that we can get excited for, and there's nothing wrong with that. There is, and I'm not going to dissect and point out flaws with every single week or every single team. I have stated in the past, though, how much I enjoy the Grey Cup rematch to kick off the season. They went away from it last season. And again, this year, we won't see a a Grey Cup rematch in week one. The biggest problem with that is the defending Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts are on a bye in week one as well. So that's a bit of a momentum killer, in my opinion, in that you're not celebrating that championship in week one and and really kicking off the season that way. I'm not going to dig too much deeper into it. My preference would be Winnipeg and Toronto to run that great cup championship game back in week one. But Toronto's at home in week two against Hamilton, their arch rival. I don't see a problem with that at all. If you wait a few extra days. Heath, you alluded to it right off the beginning of this section about the scheduling is, is no matter who your team is, you're going to be able to find a few flaws in the system. This one with a nine-team league does not necessarily equate to work out evenly for everyone. So I, I think everyone who is a fan of one team is going to be able to point to some oddities in the schedule. But overall, if you look at the whole picture as opposed to just the one team, I think they've done an excellent job of putting the season forward, and I'm excited for it to be started. It's time to start thinking about next year. First preseason game is in Calgary on May the 22nd. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.